0: Hey everybody and welcome to the Health Tech Podcast where we talk about everything, healthcare and technology. I'm your host James Somaru and this is your weekly Sunday session. Good morning, everybody. How are you doing this fine Sunday? So I've got a couple of bits I want to touch on for you this week. And the first one is perfectionism. The second one is some extra info and advice from Rob Walton, the president and CEO of GE Healthcare across a few different markets. So about perfectionism. Now, you may have spotted that my usual Thursday episode didn't actually come out until the early hours of this morning. And that was because of an issue with my publishing platform talking to Apple. And anyway, I was looking at my download metrics and going into a bit of a spiral thinking, oh my God, there's going to be this huge trough in my in my graph it's going to look all terrible but anyway I caught myself and just said to myself look if I've got a week's gap let's say I get zero downloads for a week and this graph has got the trough who actually cares you know if that's the worst thing that happened this week then I'm doing okay and in reality it's a couple of days late so look it doesn't feel like the most professional thing having a gap when you say it's a weekly podcast or two episodes a week I'm sure everybody that podcasts that listens has got that same feeling but you know I put it into perspective and that kicked me off into thinking what I was actually grateful for, which is in part all of you guys that listen and everything that comes out of this podcast in terms of opportunity and people that get in touch. Um, and you know, on a really practical level, look, I'm now a complete expert in podcast RSS feeds and indexing and how various platforms turn those into displaying your podcasts and what can go wrong and all that sort of stuff. But anyway... Um, actually also on a practical level so if there are any podcasters that are listening out there if in the description of an episode you have like a weird character or you end up dragging over a bit of code that might have come across when copying and pasting someone's bio let's say turns out that can turn the whole system into havoc so uh, if you've got an episode that isn't coming up that might be why so get rid of the description and repost it And I found that out at midnight last night uh, in the depths of a Reddit forum. So that's why I ended up uh, publishing it in in the house of this morning. But anyway, when I'm succumbing to the pressures of perfectionism, I try to get as much perspective as possible to get my head back in the game and to get back onto speed and execution. So that is my advice for anybody that's struggling with a bit of perfectionism. It's all about putting it into perspective. Anyway, onto the meat of this episode. So it's a two for one on GE Healthcare this week. The last episode, which came out in the early hours of this morning, was uh, with Rob Walton, who's the president and CEO of GE Healthcare. And if you told me that I was interviewing this person, you know, when I started podcasting two years ago, I'd have uh, said you are insane. So um, it just goes to show, you know, the value of podcasting. And I've talked about that a lot in the past few weeks and couple of months and a few different speaking events that about how to, you know, grow a podcast and all those different things and you know one of the big concepts I say is set it up so that you bring on guests that you can learn something from and this is where it's got me it just so happens that I have had a pretty loyal listener base which has been awesome and thank you to everybody that does listen but anyway Rob told us uh, all about his career what GE are up to in healthcare we also had a chat afterwards and I got Rob to tell me his tips for health tech entrepreneurs and I got those for you right now so here is Rob walton giving his tips for health tech entrepreneurs
1: i think my my advice for entrepreneurs i mean i've worked with uh, quite a lot of uh, startup firms you know in my various different roles and uh you know one of the things which um i've kind of learned about either developing new products or developing new solutions or 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 working together there's kind of three things which i would um, really advise you know one is is fairly obvious but it's it kind of worth saying is is that making sure you're really solving a real problem that, that really causes a headache for people today I mean one of the things I've seen a lot both from my own teams and also from some of the firms that, that have reached out is sometimes we're trying to solve problems which are um, you know they're, they're nice to do you know, there's maybe uh, an increased clinical outcome, maybe we can get a bit more efficacy somewhere here or there. But at the end of the day, is anybody going to pay for it? And I think one of the things which is the difference between a great solution and an okay solution is something where, you know, it really solves that, that headache. And, you know, there's the old adage that your solution has to be a painkiller, not a vitamin. I think it's ex- extremely true. And it's something that we often forget. And, and one thing I, I have seen is that sometimes we, we can fall in love with the solution that we have and, and lose perspective on whether, actually is this the most important thing for the customer to solve at this point in time? And if it's not, you know, are they gonna be able to part with their money uh, to be able to pay for it? So that's kind of one, one area where I'd really, you know, advise people to look, you know, do, are we really solving a genuine problem that exists today? Second thing is is the business model and thinking about who pays who. Where is the money gonna come from to pay for the solution? Uh, and again, this may seem obvious, but actually very often we're working maybe with uh, a clinician or we're working with somebody uh, within um, a customer. And and if we only listen to one voice, you can develop a solution particularly for that individual or, or that, that kind of uh, part of the the customer's business. But to really make a solution that has got commercial viability, we've got to understand where the money's gonna come from to pay for it. Because obviously most customers are uh, having to make a trade off. They haven't got pots of cash that are just sitting around waiting to spend. If they're gonna spend money on your solution, that means they're not gonna spend money on something else. And so your solution has to either generate more revenue or has to save cost, or has to give a significantly uh, increased clinical outcome, uh, which is solving a problem that the hospital is trying to to, uh, solve for, ultimately. And I think sometimes, again, we lose sight of of what that is, and and that can actually mean that um, the solution, although it's a great solution, doesn't have commercial viability and therefore would never see the light of day and never really be a successful product. The other thing, is part of that, is figuring out: is, Does anybody have anything to lose? Are any of the stakeholders who would lose out if this solution came into into, into being? You know, if you think about uh, hospitals, for example, they're extremely complex organizations, and and also, you know, the the interactions between departments aren't always perfectly set up. So, you know, if you have a solution which takes patients from one department to another. Um, particularly in in networks where there's a revenue generation model, like in the USA, you, you may be actually taking uh, uh, revenue opportunities from one department and moving to another. And so even though that might be the best outcome, um, you may find that you have a stakeholder who has a lot to lose, and therefore then that can actually make the, uh, the opportunity for commercialization that much more difficult. Um, you know, the, the last thing I'll mention is, is working with big companies. Um, I've worked with quite a lot of uh, startups and smaller companies and, and almost all of them find it extremely frustrating working with a big company um, and I think that's, that's the nature of the fact that big companies are set up um, to, because they're very large organizations and they have to run uh, with a certain amount of standardization and of and, and protocols effectively um this can make it feel extremely frustrating sometimes for the for the smaller firm uh to work with but what some of my tips would be you know don't try and change the big company you know we the big company has is set up in that way because we're trying to manage you know in our case fifty thousand employees right across 170 countries around the world and it's it's difficult for us to have you know complete variable processes everywhere we go so Things like terms and conditions when you set them for contract. Sometimes we can't change those. It's just not within our capability to do that. Whereas the smaller company can sometimes get extremely frustrated that, that the big company is being impossible to work with. Um, you know, some of the other things is is the fact that you know the organisation seems to be incredibly opaque and difficult to understand. And, and to be honest, they are. I mean, relative to a small company, a big company like G is extremely complicated. Um, and so one piece of advice is, if you're working uh, with a company like G, make sure you understand the organizational structure and also make sure you know who the decision maker is. Um, what I've seen a few times is that, you know, startup firms can be working with maybe an enthusiastic employee who's, who's kind of taken this, the partnership to a certain level, but the management hasn't necessarily been on, on board. And so when it came to you know, putting the contract together and really taking the partnership to the next level, actually the the manager was not on board and therefore the the opportunity fell apart. So, you know, what I would always recommend is to make sure you understand who is the decision maker and make sure you you get some face time and and connection with the the leadership so that you know that you have support all the way through the organization uh, whenever you're trying to kind of put together any kind of contract. Um, I think the only other one I would mention is the quality requirements. You know, companies like GE, we're held to extremely tight and, and very high levels of quality management and regulatory management controls. And that also applies to any solutions that we bring in. And so sometimes I've found that, you know, working with a startup firm, they maybe don't have ISO requirements in place um, or other types of uh, quality management systems in place. And and so the the solution can be fantastic and be, you know, really, you know, value adding um, uh, product or, or, or solution. But when it comes to commercialization, you know, there's so much work to be done to be able to get the quality standards up to the right level that it actually can make the whole thing fall apart at that level. So that's the only other thing I would say to watch out for is uh, is making sure that kind of the, the levels of, of quality management are at the, the same level so that there's no, uh, no surprises later on down there down the line but um, just some just some thoughts Um, you know some of them may or may not be helpful but I just thought I'd share some of my uh, perspectives from having been in a big company and working with uh, startup firms over the years and uh, the the do's and don'ts for how how to make it work in in the most effective way
0: so I hope you all enjoyed that this week and I'll catch you all on Thursday